Hello everyone, I'm Rachel Barilleri and this is Soul Story 20, a place where we explore real life applications and benefits of the heart-brain connection. Through stories, I'm here to provide practical takeaways to help you bring more authenticity and well-being into your life, all within 20 minutes. Let the story begin. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another week of Soul Story 20. I am so excited to bring you another episode talking with Alyssa Phoenix today. And in this half of our discussion, we really get into building inclusive spaces. I am so just thrilled for all of you to hear Alyssa's take on the subject. And of course, there's some really rich practical takeaways. So before we dive in, as you may know, at the start of every podcast episode, I ask my guests, what has made your heart happy this week? And so this week, I thought I would ask some of you. And I got some beautiful, beautiful responses through my Instagram page. You can follow me there at rachel.barillary. And just really cool reflection. So I'm going to read a couple of them now. So the first one is from Brenna, and she said what's made her heart happy this week is learning new things. She says, even at 37, I love to learn something new as much as I can. That's awesome. The next is from Michelle. She wrote in, what's made her heart happy this week is the privilege of helping her youngest set up her new apartment and create a home. Hope says that what's made her heart happy was dinner with her parents this past Sunday. Melody said getting to spend her birthday with loved ones. Shout out to you, Melody. Happy birthday. And Anthony writes, just being able to live my life with the people I care about. Those are all such beautiful things. Last but not least, I have a write-in here from Marissa who says what has made her heart happy has been working with me. Marissa is supporting me with building the brand, Soul Story, and with marketing and What has made my heart so happy is getting to work with her and her incredible team. Just so much to celebrate this week. So thank you for all of you who wrote in. I'm so excited to be able to to share your joy as well. Quick practical takeaway is this can be easily transitioned if you're a teacher or facilitator of any kind into a really great opening activity. If if you're hosting any type of class or workshop or anything to get people warmed up and get all the voices in the room heard. This is an exercise that I adopted from an amazing, amazing educator at Johns Hopkins University, Catherine Knoll, and it is called Small Joys. So all you do is you ask your participants, your students, whoever, whoever you're leading to go around the room and just share one small joy. And it could be really teeny tiny or it could be huge. So it's a great way to get people laughing, get people authentically sharing, and to set a really nice emotional climate, a nice tone to get into whatever you need to do. All right, on to today's episode. Let's hear more from Alyssa Phoenix. So I'd love to pivot into (laughs) this intersectionality of neurodiversity and LGBTQ plus work, I I would just love to hear your thoughts about that. What does that look? What does that work look like for you? What does that really mean? You know, where is the overlap? 
there that you're speaking to, I would just love to hear from your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. One of the things that I, I mean, I, I reference intersectionality in all of my trainings because I think it's really important to to recognize that there's no way to isolate one, you know, one's experience based on only one part of them. I have an activity that I, I tend to walk a lot of my, my trainee participants through where I say, you know, list, take 30 seconds to identify, to list all the different ways that you identify, all the different labels that maybe that you often adhere to. And then I say, take 15 seconds to rank those in order of importance or relevance to big life decisions. And I ask people to kind of reflect on which, which one of those tasks was harder and and I do get a lot of mixed answers, but the idea is, and what, what's usually intended to get out of it is that it's very rare that we can isolate any way of our thinking when we go into something. And equally, when I give my trainings, I say I can often only speak from my own personal lens or maybe lenses you know, of something that I've witnessed or I've worked closely with, but I by no means could speak from anybody else's perspective exactly. And so with that, you know, I recognize that the moment I came up, I became a parent, the way that I taught was completely different or the way that I carried out my educational kind of responsibilities and communicating with parents and it, my work in IEP meetings and just kind of structuring things around that and community and collaborating with families. And then same thing with, you know, as a black queer person, I, there's, no way to really isolate what oftentimes is something that is queer related or whether something is, you know, as a person of color or, you know, and so sometimes it's kind of just helping people understand that that is so deeply enmeshed and so integral that you can't really suss out one experience versus another. And you also see that in people trying to look for, you know, medical providers. I always give the example too of like, if a person is looking for, say, a new therapist or whatever, they often have to check off all these boxes of what kind of, you know, experiences or specialties that they're that that practitioner is is an expert in. Mm -hmm. And and if somebody, you know, is looking for somebody who's LGBTQ familiar and familiar working with neurodivergent clients and maybe a person of color and somebody who's, you know, and just kind of listing a couple of different things that are very frequent experiences that are maybe co-occurring or just a huge part of our population. And it'll come back inevitably with no, no search results. Try to broaden your, you know, your search or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because so in that case, then you have to rank your identities. You come into this, this point of view or this, this then situation where you're having to rank which parts of yourselves are more important when the reality is you can't really isolate that. <laughs> right. So what I'm hearing you say is in the work that you're doing, when correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. is highlighting the importance of, of being aware of this intersectionality. Yes. Okay. And so what, like, do you, do you see a lot of challenge when you're doing these workshops and your trainings? Are there a lot of challenges right now in creating inclusive spaces that do acknowledge that reality? Yes, in the sense that, I mean, depending on the, the collection or the focus of whatever particular training, I do a lot of times get the questions of like, you know, well, I just want to know the terminology 
or I just want to know. And they, people want these kind of tangible takeaway to-dos almost, you know, or these rules or something. Like to check and, the box to make yeah, sure they're it, meeting the LGBT. Absolutely. It becomes very performative, very like, I just want to be able to do this and be done. And the truth okay. is, if you're not, if you're just memorizing something, you're not really getting it. And a lot of times what anybody is working in the school systems realizing is that there are not really rules that you can just adhere to, you know, like right. a lot, it's going to be very subjective to the individual and just like languages in, in general, like it's all going to very much depend on the student or the client or whatever the case is as to how they identify or what a certain word means to them, you know? And so, so yeah, I just kind of urge people to recognize that it's so much more complex than just in knowing the definition to some terms, you know, and a lot of times it's kind of recognizing that you don't know that there's a good chunk that you don't know, but internalizing the growth mindset that schools are constantly promoting to the students as if the students are the only ones that really need to focus on the growth mindset. It's really the adults that need to kind of focus on internalizing that and recognizing that the more that they accept that they don't know anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> the more that they they're going to be better at this because they're going to be more open to learning and open to just understanding the student and the student's preferences and ways that they want to be their identity should be honored, you know? Yeah, yes, 100%. And like you said, to, this isn't something and this is a theme we keep coming back to, which is amazing. I just want to continue to say this. We can't intellectualize solely mm-hmm. growth, right? It has to be embodied and that awareness. And, and with this work, it's not, like you just said, it's not a checklist. It's mm-hmm. not a one size fits all. And this is why, like with my work and my book, I call it a formula, right? It's a compassion formula, meaning we're always growing. It's always mm-hmm. adapting. And something that I like to talk about is approaching any situation with openness and curiosity and and, mm-hmm. and realizing there's so much we you don't know about the other yeah. person. Hearing yeah. their story, just in creating space for the expression of their full identity and honoring and affirming that, mm-hmm. right? And then yep. creating aligned action that is just that aligned with that person. Again, not one size fits all. This work is so... This is why it takes such immense capacity. I want to mm-hmm. honor that too. Yeah. Be an educator yeah. today because you are tasked with holding such sacred space for people, I think. Yes. So. Yes, absolutely. And and it's, you know, I think one of the most valuable things that we can ask students or anybody that we are trying to exercise like, you know, compassion or collaborative efforts or energy went into working with is when it comes to language asking them what what does this mean to you what and really clarifying certain things not in a not in a like you teach me everything way but in a I want to make sure that I really appreciate your entire experience because that is that's going to be the way that kind of gets us out of this rigid internal perception because language is is all subjective and if we kind of go into something imagining that our per, our definition or understanding of a word is the same as our students or whatever that's usually the biggest cause for a breakdown in communication and empathy really i couldn't agree more and this is where you and i before before the recording we're talking about 
being word lovers and you mm-hmm. introduced me to the word logophile. Mm-hmm. And this is something, again, I talk about in the book and it's just something I speak to. But when we're talking about, okay, if we want a norm of risk, this is just even very general. If we want mm-hmm. a norm of respect to be in our classroom, let's mm-hmm. really create a, like I do like a lot of visual mapping and word webbing. What does mm-hmm. that mean to you? To, genuinely, what does that look like to you? Let's create yeah. a shared understanding of what respect means, because especially if you have students of different cultures as well what respect looks like to student A might actually be quite different than student B. Absolutely. And so, that, yeah. you know, and getting that shared language. One of my favorite writers, Bell Hooks, talks about this a lot too. And this is, and this is something you and I have discussed, but the importance of language, right, to create shared understanding. And I love that you said too, not in a you teach me way, but let's create a shared clarity here of mm-hmm. what we're talking about. But at the same time, acknowledging the limitation of language, too. You know, it was only more recently that I think I've, I started to realize that my absolute love for words and just the intricacies and the cadence and the, the depth of them really came from, like, this desperate need to connect and not always having the words as a kid to communicate exactly what I was feeling. And that's, again, one of those things that I'm starting to like reflect more on my own neurodivergence experience as a kid because it was it, it looked a little differently. And it might have been I was highly dysregulated and I was trying to verbalize what I want, you know, what what was the problem, what, what the whole hold up was. And I didn't always have the language for it. So it's kind of like I hyper focused on it so that I did. And and I think that that kind of brought me to appreciating it. But also recognizing just how how unique it, it can be in terms of how we we use it to communicate, because it really it still can mean something very different to one person versus the other, you know. And so I I, I like to use the example of if somebody says imagine or the word imagine, or they might say the word visualize. I used to think yes, I'm a total visual thinker. I'm a I'm an artist. I I can visualize, right? I didn't I didn't know until maybe a couple of years ago that people actually can generate images in their minds. <laughs> Basically, I don't have like a visual image. So if somebody was doing a guided meditation or whatever, I didn't know people could literally close their eyes and see whatever they're describing or, you know, something like that. That was just something that I mean, I couldn't conceptualize it. I can like generate what that idea is but there's no visual so anyway so it's just it was interesting because the way you might interpret someone saying imagine or the word visualize means very different things because if that's your only if that's only ever been your norm how would you know otherwise and so my friend my friend who also is is similar to me where they don't generate images they're kind of like oh I always I just assumed everybody was figuratively speaking. And I was like, me too, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, and you really wouldn't know because you're, because it's all subjective. And so I think just kind of using that as an opportunity to like question further what different people's experiences are and that how differently maybe they interpret certain language or certain ideas can be really powerful in building connections because you don't realize just how much you have to learn until you really have that conversation. Oof. 
That is such a truth. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, Alyssa, I'm going to say thank you so much. You have shared so much wisdom with us today. And before we sign off, is there, you know, for people who are curious to know more about your work or would like to work with you, where can people, people find you? I do have a website. It is Phoenix Outspoken. So Phoenix, F-E-N-I-X, and then Outspoken.com. And I do have a blog, a little more insight to to kind of me and my approach to a lot of things. Blog, um, my blog is pretty straightforward with that. And then, and there's also information on there on, on how I can be contacted for whether it's interviews, trainings, or even just resources. I'm happy to kind of be available as somebody that can maybe point somebody in the right direction of another resource. I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah. Well, I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes okay. so everybody awesome. can can find that. So awesome. Alyssa, thank you. I feel like this is not the last conversation that we will <laughs> of course be having. Not. So of course not. I'm really, I'm really excited to continue the conversation. I'm really, really thankful that you had me on here. Oh, well, I'm so grateful. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Soul Story 20.